This morning, if you'll find in your copy of God's Word, the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 16 is where we're at today, and we'll get to the text in just a few minutes. Acts chapter 16 will be our text today. We'll read a rather lengthy passage of Scripture from the 16th chapter. But before we do, I want to just take a moment of take a moment and share with you that a little over a week ago I went to Wilmore, Kentucky, to Asbury University across the street from Asbury Theological Seminary where God has been working in a powerful way. It's captured a lot of people's attention about it. I was curious and hopeful as I went there, and an outbreak of seeming renewal and revival had happened on that college campus. And so I just want to share with you some of my observations. I arrived on Thursday night. I'd been here at the church working through, the, through midday, and so I went home and just... Uh, Decided I was going to go. Felt the Lord leading me to go and just threw a toothbrush brush in the car, uh, a bag and change of clothes and drove there. I arrived around 8 o'clock at night at the campus. I'd never been to the campus, although I lived when I was a little boy very near there. And so I, uh, when I got there, I couldn't hardly find anywhere to park. It was a drizzling fog, and so it was warm and the street, the mud was in, the, all the yards were muddy, and, and I got out of my, after I found a place to park several blocks away from the school, I got out of my car, and when I did, I stepped out of my car, and I just sensed something like God's presence. Well, I didn't know if it was just my emotions or thoughts or anticipation, but I was almost began to, to, to cry. I, I could, it was kind of odd. So I walked and made my way toward the campus, and I, trying to figure out where I was at. I encountered other people, and they were smiling. Some were laughing. Others were crying. I, I walked by people, and they were just singing together. You could hear singing and music wafting from the chapel out toward, through the streets in that hill, hilly town. And so I, I, I met a couple of women from Korea, and they said, do you know where you're going? I said, no. I, I mean, I'm going to heaven, but other than that, I don't know exactly, but I'm following the music, and we made our way. They said, well, how do you get to the chapel? I said, I think it's this way, and of course, I kind of led them the wrong way. They had to walk through the mud to get there, and so I made my way to the chapel, and when I got there, there was a large projection screen, and there was outside speakers because the chapel was filled and not only that, was a long line of people, and then there was people standing out in the yard, and they were worshiping God and singing and praising. Some were lifting their hands, and some were kneeling in the mud, and others were in little chairs that were gathered around, and others were eating a hot dog that they'd bought at a hot dog stand across the street, and, and, and some kids were playing ball, and, and I thought, is this what revival looks like? And there was a sense of peace, and there was a sense of joy. And I walked up to one of the men. I, there was a, I said, is, this is the main chapel. He said, yes. He said, there's a chapel across the street. It's full. There's another little chapel down the 
back, back behind it, he said, that's full of people too. And he said, and there's a Methodist church down the street, and they're open, and it's being projected in there. And I said, so I just stood there, and it was sort of drizzly. It was warm, and I was just singing and praising and observing. And it just sensed God's presence. Well, I decided to get in line to go into the main chapel. And so I said, this is the line. He said, yes, this is the line. And he said, so just keep walking and you'll find the end of the line. I said, okay. And they were three or four deep and the line went for nearly a half mile. And I stood in line for an hour and a half before I got close to the chapel. But I could hear the music, and I met people from all over, hunger and thirsting for God. And when I got near to the chapel, I heard the gospel being presented, and I heard a couple of men preaching and sharing the gospel, and it was clearly shared, the gospel, how to come to know Christ, what happened in the garden, how we were lost, and how we have no hope, and how Christ bore all of our sins in his body on the cross and that he was the son of God and how that he rose again from the dead and that he defeated death, hell, and the grave and that you can have eternal life by turning from sin and trusting in Christ and no matter what you've done, you can't earn or work your way to heaven but your only hope is in Jesus Christ. They preached the gospel so clearly. They gave an invitation and said, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your savior, and scores of people stood, people outside, people in the other chapels. And they said, would you, they led him in a prayer of salvation and asked him to come forward. And the counselors met with him. And there were many people saved that night to the glory of God. Amen. Well, that warmed my heart because I was going this, whatever this is, I don't want it built on emotion. It better be built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I was allowed to go inside of the auditorium, there was a hushed, there was a peace, there was a reverence, there was joy, there was expectancy, there was prayer. And I sat there and observed and watched. And they just were singing to the glory of God. The whole center section was filled with just college students, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds. The platform was filled with probably a hundred students, and they were just singing to the glory of God. The people leading the music, they, they weren't extraordinarily polished. It was a piano and a guitar, and there was no lights or lasers or fog show or fog or light show or anything. I'm not opposed to anything like that, but I'm just saying it was not manipulated in any way. And it's like God was meeting. People were singing. I heard a second message, and the message was about holiness, about turning from sin and compromised life. I heard the testimony of a young woman who shared about, I was a college student. I was a senior in college. I was going to a Christian school, but I knew I was compromised because I wasn't living a pure life. I was sexually active in ways that I shouldn't be because I wasn't married, and I knew that I wasn't living right, and God was convicting me of my sin. And while I knew I had confessed Christ as my Savior, I was living a compromised life. And I wasn't living the way God wanted me to live. And I knew that my seat at the table wasn't a close seat at the table. Because I had pulled away because of 
of my own sin. And she called us to turn from sin. She said, I, when I said, God, I no, want, no longer want to live for me. I want to die to sin and live for Christ. I want to live a righteous and holy life. And she gave her testimony. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God moved. And you could hear people moaning and crying and greet, weeping. And people, and she gave an altar call. And hundreds of people came and knelt, saying they wanted Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of their life. They wanted him to be the king of their life. They wanted to live a right and holy life. And counselors praying. I saw 20-year-old kids kneeling, and then I saw 60-year-old adults praying with them. And then I saw 60-year-old adults on their knees praying, and I saw some 20-year-olds go over and pray over them. It was awesome. Then we sang again. It was glorious. Sang for maybe 20, 30 minutes. Seemed like a minute or two. And then a man got up and shepherded the whole thing, group and talked about, he, he was from a missions organization affiliated with the school. And he was well respected among the people. And he said, there's no personalities here. There's no celebrities here. There's no mega churches here. There's no great gospel celebrity, no great singing artist. But the presence of God is here. We should never take this for granted. Amen. And he said, what's happening among these students, they'll never forget. And God has chosen to visit with us. But this isn't the church. This is a university. But you have a local church. Those of you who've driven from other places, you go home to your local church and you serve God there. You pray, you pray for your pastors and pray for your leaders and pray for your members. And if your church seems kind of dead, then you just start talking about what God's doing and how God's spoken to you and talk about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God, the presence of God, how God is answering prayer in your life, how God is with you and he'll never leave you nor forsake you, about the intimacy that you have in your walk with God and how you're fresh and alive and how God's renewing you. You talk about it with others and then you pray with them and ask God to revive your church and your home and your your community. Isn't that glorious? Man, oh man, I loved it. And so I was just listening and then he talked, he said, let's pray over these students. And we did it. And then he said, for those of you who come from other places, he said, I want you to go home and talk about God's goodness. And I want to tell you something. This is what he said. He said, he said, I've been here several days. And he said, I've talked with many of these college young men. And he said, 100% of them, when they start talking to me, they say, I'm so sick and tired of the shame, and I'm tired of the guilt, and I'm tired of carrying this baggage, and I'm done with this life, and I want to live a different life, and I'm done with the hooks that pornography has in my life, and I want release. And he said, I'm not saying one man or two men, I'm saying every young man. 
And then he said, every young man in this room, every man in this room knows. And many of you women know. And it's a tool of the devil to destroy your life. And he said, I'm not talking about reducing your watching pornography. I'm talking about obliterating. And the chains are broken. And you can find a life that's real. And he said, not only those chains, but the chains of greed and the chains of jealousy and the chains of envy and the chains of bitterness and the chains of spiritual laziness and the chains of lust to have more and more and the chains of lies and the chains of living a false life. When you let go of those things, those idols in your heart, You'll know God in an intimate way who made you and created you. And you'll find life as it's meant. Full of life. I thought, come to my church and preach that sermon. It was so good. And he gave a call to turn and pray and repent of sin, trusting God. And people all over the room were praying. People came forward and prayed. There was no room at the front, so people knelt in the aisle and laid on the floor. And they prayed. There was nothing weird going on. No weird activity. No, not people not getting hit in the head and falling on the ground, rolling around. There was no weirdness. It was a presence of God. As far as I could tell. And then we sang. And we sang that song that we just sang this morning, Agnes Day. Worthy is the Lamb. And that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And we just sang that chorus again and again and again. And it, at first a piano player had played it, but then it, was, it became a cappella. And just the whole, nobody was really leading the music. It was just the whole congregation of 1,800 people just singing to the glory of God. And it felt like heaven to me. And there was peace and joy and life. And I thought, what I see here today is what the church ought to be every day. Can somebody say amen? amen. Well, it was about 1230 when I left. It only felt like a few minutes. At one o'clock, they were closing the chapel. They were shepherding those college students. They were going to spend more intense time, intentional time with them and let all the guests go back. And so I came away and I said, this is what I saw. I saw the gospel preached. I saw people praying. I saw people praising God. I saw people turning from sin. I saw people pursuing to know God. I heard biblical exhortation. I witnessed peace, joy, hope, and renewal. And I saw personal evangelism and a call to live a holy life. And I thought, I think that's pretty good stuff I just witnessed. Doesn't mean that something can't morph 
into something bad or something off course. It can. But what I witnessed that night was very powerful. And I, I thought I'd just want to take a few minutes and share that with you today because it encouraged my heart in a great way. God isn't just working in some little town in Kentucky. He's working all over this world Amen. in a great and powerful way. And he's meeting with us today. And I'm praying that God would bring revival in our hearts and in our lives and in our homes and in our families and in our church and in our community. And Lord knows we need it Amen. in our world today. Amen. Amen. So today, I wanted to share that with you, and I wanted to encourage your heart. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. It's powerful and true. And Father, I, I just thank you for what you've done and what you're continuing to do on university campuses and in churches in various places all over the world. And I pray that, God, you would do it in our church as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In verse number 6 of chapter 16, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them and Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him. Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out the sea and sailed straight from Samothrace. And the next day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed in the city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to God, what, God was saying, what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come. And stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Today I want us to think about, and I'll finish this passage later as we, maybe, as we preach through this. Today I want to think about how do we live by faith? How do we journey with God by faith? Notice, first of all, you've got to follow his lead. If you want, you want to make this journey, you need to follow his lead. 
Now, this is Paul and Silas on this missionary journey. Barnabas has taken John Mark, and they've started a different missionary journey. And there was some great disappointment with John Mark on the part of Paul, and so they separated over John Mark. And so Paul takes Silas with him. Silas was a man of God, a great teacher, a prophet. And, and, and Silas was well-respected and trusted. And so he and Paul left, and they made their way toward Asia Minor. And they're going through what we now would call Syria. And as they're on their way, they, it says we, they, um, they were following the Lord's leadership. And they went through the region, um, through the re- different regions, and they encountered uh, a young man, and his name is really a teenager, and his name was Timothy. And Timothy's mom and grandmother were great followers of the Lord and believers, Lois and Eunice, but his dad was a Greek. And notice in chapter 16, verse number 3, Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. And so he felt the leadership of the Lord to invite this young man, Timothy, who's probably just a teenager, to go with him on this missionary journey. And Timothy agreed to go. But he said, well, I'll tell you what, everybody knows your dad's a Greek and your mom and grandmother, they're Jewish, and you really need to be circumcised. And so, you know, that might cause a teenager to wonder whether or not he wanted to go on that mission trip. And it was some cost involved there, right? A bit painful cost. And Timothy is circumcised. And after being healed, they're making their way to go. And notice, he says, they go through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They're in the southern part of Galatia. And they're going up. As they're going north, Paul wants to go then westward and make his way across Turkey, the middle of Turkey, and what we call Turkey, and go up toward the Lycus River Valley and up toward Colossae and Heropolis, and then make his way over probably toward Ephesus. But it says, notice something very interesting. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, that doesn't that sound weird? The Holy Spirit said no. Hmm. Well, now there's something different. He says, well, then we'll just push on north, I guess. And so we'll go up north and we'll go into northern Galatia, maybe up into Bithynia and along the coast of the Black Sea. But notice what happens. What does the Spirit say? It says, in verse number seven, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now notice it says the Spirit of Jesus in my translation and, and indeed, that's what the better translations say, the, the Greek text. So it's the Holy Spirit in the verse before, and it's the Spirit of Jesus in verse number 7. And you know what? That's a great affirmation right there, that Jesus is God. Amen. And the Spirit of Jesus says no. And they attempted to go. Did you know sometimes that's the way God leads us? He closes some doors and he opens other doors. And so those doors were closed. You say, well, how did, how did uh, he know? Was it just a feeling? Maybe. Was it a prophecy? Did someone prophesy? Maybe. Was it a circumstance? Perhaps. Was it a health issue? It could be. But somehow or another, God's spirit was saying no, and they recognized his voice. 
So Paul says there's only really one way to go, and we're going to go west. And so they circled around west in the northern part of Turkey and then came to Troas. And Troas is a port city, and that port faces toward Europe, toward Greece. And there, in a vision, God's going to give them direction. And there's the vision that Paul has, and this vision is a man. And the man in the vision is crying out to them, cross over to Macedonia and help us. And notice the response of the apostles. It says, during the night, verse number 9, Paul had a vision in Macedonia, a man standing pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, now I want you to notice the pronouns here. Verse 10, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us, notice, to preach the gospel to them. Now who's the we and the us? You see, now there's a new voice, and that's the voice of the author of this book, the book of Acts, and that's Luke. And so at Troas, Luke joins with Paul, and Dr. Luke goes with them. And they had determined that God had called us, verse 10, to preach the gospel to them. The second thing is that we understand is that when we're following the Lord, that we need to be proclaiming his word. Verse number 10, they, they concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. Wherever God leads you, he leads you to proclaim his word, to be bold in sharing the gospel. You get a new job, then you're a missionary on that new job to share the gospel. You got new neighbors, you're a missionary to those neighbors to share the gospel. New opportunities come into your life, you need to conclude. We are full-time missionaries to share the greatest news in all the world, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? amen. Paul reminds Timothy about this great ministry that God has given us that we need to always be ready to preach the gospel. In 2 Timothy 3.10, he said, but you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Verse 11, along with persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Evil people, imposters, will become worse and deceiving and being deceived. But you, Tim, continue in what you've learned. Firmly believe. You know those who taught you. And you know from infancy you've known the sacred scriptures that's able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, Tim, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and teaching. He said, make priority, Tim, 
Wherever you go, whatever you do, whether you're suffering or whether it's a, 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 a time of great happiness and joy and no difficulty. And he said, good times or bad times, Tim, preach the word of God. Because it's the only hope we got in this world. And it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and say, we're going to follow his lead and we're going to preach the gospel wherever it leads us. Amen. Jeremiah said, isn't my word like a fire? Isn't my word like a hammer? Isn't my word like a sword? It's a double-edged sword. The sword pierces and kills, but the sword of the Lord pierces and saves. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes Jews first and also Gentiles. Now's the time to preach the word. Amen. Number three, observe and act on his work. Now, notice what happens. Paul's there for several days. And he's in, in, uh, he's in Philippi, which is a leading city among the Romans. It was not the capital city, but it was a leading city. And many veterans lived there. And, and it was on the main thoroughfare. And it was a Roman city. And and, and it was, if you were traveling from Rome or Greece and you were headed toward Turkey, you would go through, you, going through to Syria, you would go through Philippi. And so he's there several days and he's with Silas and he's with Timothy and he's with Dr. Luke. And there's no synagogue in the city. You had to have 10 Jewish faithful Orthodox Jewish men in order to have a synagogue in the city. There's no synagogue in Philippi. So after several days, it's the Sabbath day, and Paul says, you know, and it was Paul's custom to go to the Jews first, and then the Gentiles. And so he thought, well, there'll probably be a place of prayer if there's some Jews gathered to pray. And so he made his way on the just outskirts of the city. And verse number 13, we expected to find a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. It's a gathering of women. And there was a God-fearing woman there. That meant she prayed to God. She was God-fearing. She loved the Lord. And she knew about the God of the Scripture and of the law. And she was a God-fearing woman. She, maybe not Jewish, but she was a seeker. She was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. And she was listening. She listened to Paul. He was he proclaimed the word of God to these women. And notice something very interesting, verse 14. Who takes the initiative? Well, now, Paul preaches the word, but it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Who opened her heart? Not persuasion, not manipulation, but the Lord opened her heart. And Paul saw it was the work of the Holy Spirit in her heart. And he preached the gospel more care, carefully and clearly to her. In verse number 15, she and her household were baptized. This praying woman, this God-fearing, seeking woman, hears the gospel. God grabs her attention and the Holy Spirit causes her to be born again. Born from above. And she comes to trust Christ as her Savior. 
And the Lord opened her heart. It, the work of salvation is always the work of God, not of men. She said, I want to be baptized. He baptized her, not only her, a bunch of those other women and people in part of her house and servants and workers that worked with her. They heard the gospel. They believed Christ too. They were born again too. And that whole family and that whole group was born again and was baptized. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? And so then notice, this is just absolutely beautiful. It says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, verse 15, come and stay at my house. Now, she must have had a big house. And she said to Paul and Silas and Timothy and Dr. Luke, you boys just stay at my house. Don't you thank the Lord for her? And it says, and she persuaded us. Dr. Luke says she persuaded us. Actually, Dr. Luke says she twisted our arms. She would not take no for an answer. And we stayed with her. Wow. This is how God works. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. This is why we constantly thank God. Because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God, which effective, works effectively in you who believe. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men and women to me. Amen. Amen. Number four, we need to trust his ways. Do God's ways always work exactly the way we think that they should work? Has anybody ever noticed there's a few detours in the journey of life? Everything doesn't go always smooth sailing, and sometimes difficulties happen. But you've got to trust his ways. Trust that he's in charge. Now notice verse number 16. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling, and she followed Paul, and as she cried out, These men! who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation, are servants of the Most High God. Now that sounds good on the surface, but Paul's getting annoyed. Why? Because he knows it's not the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through this girl. It's another voice. Verse number 18, she did this for many days. Do you hear it building? Paul was greatly annoyed. Did you think Paul could ever get annoyed? And he turned to the Spirit. Now it's in a slave girl, but he speaks to the Spirit. An evil spirit in her. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. The evil spirit leaves this girl who had been prostituted to make money for some of the men in the city. And guess what? They get really mad because... The spirit of divination that was in her was an evil spirit. And in verse 19, her owners realized their hope of profit was gone. So what do they do? They seize Paul and Silas and drag them to the marketplace to the authorities. So not only are they mad because they lost their profit, now they're going to accuse them of being against the city, against politics, against Rome. 
These men are seriously disturbing our city. They're Jews, promoting customs not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack. The chief magistrates stripped off their clothes. How humiliating. Ordered them to be beaten with rods. They beat them and beat them and beat them. They're blacks, bloodied and raw. And after they had severely flogged them, not a little bit, severely, they threw them in jail, ordered the jailer guard them carefully. They're turned over to their lictors. We use the phrase, take your licks, comes from the use of that word lictors, beating. And he put them in the inner prison. And he put their feet in stocks and their bare raw backs against the hard wood and rocks of the jail cell. Is God there? They could have been discouraged and said, well, where's God in all this? Well, I, why is all this happening to me? We were just trying to do what God told us to do. Why are we suffering this? Why, is, why have we come to this place? But that's not what they did. They trusted God was in charge of the journey. And in the middle of their pain, how do they respond? Let me tell you what. If you're going to follow the Lord, you need to learn to rejoice in the Lord. In verse number 25, and we just sang about that, in the middle of the storm. We're going to rejoice in the Lord. Verse number 25. Notice what it says. In the middle of that jail cell, about midnight, so it's midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Is that an amazing thought? So here they are in prison. It's about midnight, and they're in the inner cell, and their blacks are bleeding and raw and bruised and swollen and pain. Their bodies are aching, and their feet are in stalks. And at midnight, they're singing and praying and worshiping God. And you know what? All the prisoners are going, what kind of men are these? Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus said, blessed are you when men insult you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because that's the way they persecuted the prophets before you. Wow. They refused to be victims. They knew God was with them, and they were obeying him. And if Jesus suffered for them, they would suffer with Christ as well. You know something? Here's a good word for you today. God never makes a mistake. Tell your neighbor, God never makes a mistake. Never. 
Well, something awesome happens, and you know this story. My time's about gone. There was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the jail were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. Is that an amazing story? Verse number 26. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open. He drew his sword. He's going to kill himself. He thought the prisoners had escaped. But here's an amazing thing. Paul cried out with a loud voice. Hey, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. <laughs> Not just Paul and Silas. All the other prisoners that could have escaped were there too. Why? Because God had done a work. Wow. And the jailer called for lights. He rushed in. He fell down trembling. He escorted them out of the jail. And then he asked this question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow. And Peter said, believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved, you and your house. Wow. He said to the jailer, you can't save yourself, my friend. You can't be good enough. You can't change your stripes. You can't become a Jew and be saved that way. You can't be, a, you can't be saved by the law or cleaning your life up. But you need to put your faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord. Amen. And you will be saved. He preached the simple gospel message to him. And then he preaches it more clearly with all of his house. And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And they spoke, verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in the house. He brings in his servants. He brings in his slaves. He brings in his co-workers. He has probably other prisoners there. He has jailers there. He has his wife and his children there. And he preaches the Lord Jesus and preaches the gospel. And he took them that hour and night and washed their wounds. Can you imagine the, the sight of that? They start trusting the Lord and they're being saved. And, and then they take him out and they begin to carefully wash the wounds, caring and cleaning the wounds that had been inflicted by that man and now cleaned and by the same hands. And notice in verse number 34, he brought them to his house. He set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God, not just him, his whole household. They believed in God and they were baptized right away. In verse number 33, right away, he and his family were all baptized. Here's some truths I want you to get. Number one, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged when there's a change in your plans. God may have another plan. Number two, don't get bitter about hurt and injury by other people. Your pain may be the way that God's working for their salvation. Number three, how you respond to injustice and hurt is observed by the lost world. Number four, praise him in the storms of life. Amen. 
you know, honestly, sometimes, you know, we live in this text messaging world. And so somebody gets an answer to prayer or good news. And you know what my response is? PTL, exclamation mark. What's that stand for? Praise the Lord. But should I only say PTL when the answer is the way I think it should be? Or do I say praise the Lord no matter what the situation? Paul and Silas praised him in the dungeon, in the darkness, in the most difficult circumstance. Trust God and love people. And that's exactly what these Paul and Silas did. They loved the people, the very ones that hurt them. They loved them. And finally, be ready to proclaim the Lord Jesus and his salvation to anyone who will hear. Amen. Now put your imagination on with me for a moment. He serves them a meal. And they all, these brand new believers, brand new baptized believers, they're all probably still a little bit wet. And they fix a big meal and they're all around the table. And their wounds still throbbing, but they've been cared for and loved and Paul's loving them. And when Mrs. Jailer brings out and other servants the fine food and they're getting ready to eat, I just can't help but imagine, oh, the Apostle Paul saying, before we eat all this meal, hand me that bread. And I think he broke it. And he told them the story of Jesus. And after they've been baptized, maybe they ate a piece of that bread and remember him. I know it's a little bit of speculation on my part, but it's a good thought, isn't it? And then maybe he said, hand me that cup of wine. And they passed it among themselves and said, this is a new covenant in the blood of Jesus. And then they took their meal with gladness of heart. I think that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And who was sitting around that table? A band of misfits. Jailers and prisoners, servants and slaves. It says, after that event, they went to Lydia's house, verse number 40, and they remembered all these things together. And it says, after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. In Lydia's house, they were rejoicing. And in Lydia's house, they were fellowshipping. And in Lydia's house, they were remembering. And in Lydia's house, they were testifying. And in Lydia's house, it was rich and poor, slave and free. Male and female, Jew and Gentile, because that is the church of Jesus Christ. Women, wealthy, powerful women, slaves and jailers and prisoners, but now they're all a part of the family of life, God, 
I think it was glorious. And when Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I'm telling you, when you follow the Lord, you experience things that you never thought you would. And it's glorious. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's true. As we respond today to your word and taking the Lord's table, I pray that we'll do so meaningfully, purposefully, reverently. Father, may we remember all that you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.